There's long been a curiosity, a fascination with angels. Are angels real? And if they are, what do they do? Are angels around us? And this is not just a fascination from the history of mankind, but it's a growing fascination even for our culture and our time today as books and movies come out and we read them and we watch them and we spend time wondering about angels. You know, as we long to look into the realm of angels, to flip the script, I wonder, what do angels long to look into? If you're an angel, what is it that you're interested in? What is it that you spend time wondering about? Well, as it turns out, as we spend our time wondering about angels, angels actually spend time wanting and wondering and desiring to look into something that has actually been made known and available to us. And it's so earth shattering, it's so monumental that it's a reason for joy now. I want to welcome you to Mount Olive Church. So glad you joined us today. We've been in a series on 1 Peter that we subtitled Steadfast. 1 Peter was written by a guy named Peter. Yep. And uh, he was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, um, chosen by Jesus to follow him. Uh, Peter, uh, his life was kind of a series of nailed it moments and failed it moments. And maybe that relates to your life. You're like, my life is a series of nailed it moments and failed at moments. And, and this is Peter's life, but God had forgiven him and not just forgiven him, he had reinstated Peter as one of, or maybe the leader of the early church, this movement that Jesus started. And so Peter is one of these leaders and, and uh, he writes this letter probably from the city of Rome where in just a few months or years, he would be executed under the Roman emperor emperor uh, Nero and he's writing this to Christians in the in different provinces throughout the Roman Empire and uh, Christians who had already suffered and were suffering a great deal they were experiencing persecution and hardship these were not Christians who did not know pain and difficulty and so Peter writes a letter and he calls them to be steadfast. And as you remember from last week, Pastor Kenton uh, preached kind of the first verses three to verse seven. And Peter talks about this idea of hope. And it's not a buy a lottery ticket kind of hope. It's not a cross your fingers. I hope so. It's not a dead hope or a wish for hope. Peter talks about what he calls a living hope a hope that's alive. It's not dead in the past and it's not dead in the future. It's living. It's something that we have now, but it looks to the future because that's what hope always does. But that brings up a question. Sure, we have hope for later because hope is always based on the future. Who hopes for what they already have? I think the Apostle Paul said that. So hope is always based on the future, but what do we do in the here and now? Yeah, we have hope for the future, but do we just kind of drudge through life with this hope of something in the future? Or how do we live now? Maybe the question you've had is, how do I thrive, not just survive the 70 or 80 years that I've been given on this earth? And this relates to the idea of joy. See, hope and joy are like connected. They're like twins. They always come together. 
And so Peter goes on, he starts talking about this idea of joy. Now as it relates to joy, have you ever noticed, maybe you've noticed joy to be this way in your life. I've certainly noticed it to be this way in mine. Have you ever noticed that joy is fairly flimsy? Joy seems to be about paper thick. It's about as steady as the weather in Alberta, right? Just wait five minutes. If you're having a joyful day, just wait five minutes, something will change, right? It's like joy just seems to be this roller coaster ride of like highs and lows and it's not all that steadfast. And, and often joy is this way for us. And joy can be this roller coaster ride and it's not, it's not sure, it's not steadfast and it's up and down and all around. And so as, as you think about joy, I have a question for you. What's, what's stealing your joy? What are some of the joy thieves in your life? And I guarantee there are no shortage, there is no shortage of suitors of those who will steal your joy, right? I mean, there, probably the two main thieves, the joy thieves in our world today are pain and loss. And pain and loss have a way of sucking the joy out of us. But even if we're not experiencing pain or loss, there's other joy suckers, right? That guy at work, yeah, that, he, she, that girl at work, uh, that, situ that doctor's note, right? Life was going well until I had the medical, until I found out that news. And all of a sudden our circumstances and our situation changes and our joy can just be sucked out of our lives. And this way joy often is just, it's like the weather. It comes and it goes. But here's a question. If, if your joy can be stolen, have you placed it in the right thing? If your joy can be taken away, have you been placing your joy in the right thing? And the question Peter kind of deals with and he kind of talks about is that there is a joy that can be experienced now and it's a joy that's invincible, meaning it's not based on our circumstance and situation. It goes deeper and beyond circumstance and situation. And this is what Peter goes to next as he's already written about hope. He turns his attention to this idea of joy. And here's what he says. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter starting in chapter one, verse eight. Peter writes this. He's just spoken about joy or about hope. And then he says this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Though you have not seen him, who, who is he talking about? Peter's talking about Jesus. He's talking actually about Christians who are much like you and I. Oh, these Christians lived 2,000 years ago. They lived during the lifetime of Jesus, but they lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from where Jesus did his work and ministry. And these are people who had come to know and put their faith in Jesus, but they had never seen Jesus. And yet they'd chosen to love him and they'd never seen him, but they'd chosen to believe in him. But here's the thing, it's hard, and you know this, it's hard to love someone you haven't seen and it can be really hard to believe in someone you haven't seen. And we are not unique. This was true of those believers, even though they lived in the same era as, of Jesus, and this is true of us. In fact, this was true of people who saw Jesus before his death and before his resurrection. This is true of them. They struggled to believe. It's interesting, as you read the story of the, the, the believers, none of the believers believed after Jesus died on the cross. There were no Christians, as far as we know, in the world after Good Friday. 
Between Good Friday and Good Saturday, there were no Christians. No one stood up. Peter didn't stand up. We don't know that any of the women, Marys, or, or any of the other women stood up and said, I still believe in Jesus. And here's why. Jesus made some claims that when he died, it disproved all of his claims. <laughs> like he claimed this, he claimed this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be the bread of life. He claimed to be the resurrection and the life. I'll tell you what, when the person who claims to be life dies, you kind of just stop believing in them, right? I guess it wasn't true. And this was true of all the disciples. They fled, none of them stood up and said, I still believe because they could not believe in someone who had not proven himself to be true at that point. But Sunday came and everything changed. And there were some rumors that started to go around about some women who said they had seen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that maybe indeed he was the resurrection and he was the life and he is the life. And these rumors started, but people still struggled to believe because what? They had not seen. In fact, there was one disciple in particular, his name's Thomas. And he said this regarding Jesus after he had seen Jesus die but he had not yet seen him alive. Thomas says this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And maybe this is true of you. That you've had these thoughts about Jesus. Jesus, would you just show up in my life? I don't know if I can put my faith. Would you just show up for me? And I think in ways that maybe you don't even understand he has, but Jesus is gonna speak to that desire in a little bit as well. Well, here's what happens next. Right after Thomas had said this, John the writer says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said this because this freaked them out. The doors are locked and there's a guy here. He's like, peace, right? Like they needed that. Then he said to Thomas, he just pulled out Thomas. He's like, I know you. Put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas said to him, you got me. <laughs> wow, you got me. No, he did not say that. He said something far more relevant and far more extreme. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. You are not just a God out there. You are not just a Lord out there. You are my God and you are my Lord, which means you are who you claim to be. But more than that, you are the boss, you are the master, you are the Lord of my entire life. I give you my allegiance and I give you all of my affection. And then Jesus says something interesting. And I think Jesus said this for those Christians scattered in those provinces in Asia that Peter wrote to. And I think Jesus said this next part, for people like you and me who have wrestled with what Thomas wrestled with. And Jesus says this, and Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen, have yet believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And this is who Peter is writing to. Christians who have not seen, Christians like you and I, Christians who have experienced suffering, and pain, and loss, and struggle. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you 
believe in him. And when you put your faith, when you respond like Thomas responded and you say, God, Jesus, I give you all my affection and I give you all my allegiance. I believe in you and I love you. Here is the outcome of that decision. Here's what Peter says next. And now you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You are being filled in the present with this joy that you cannot express and it cannot be suppressed. You cannot contain this joy and you cannot constrain this joy. You are being filled with a joy that's now and it's a joy that's invincible, which means when your circumstance changes, your joy does not change. When your situation changes, it's not like the Alberta weather. It's not flimsy. Your joy goes deeper than your circumstance. Now, why? Why is there this deep seated, this deep foundational joy? And Peter says, here's why. He gives the answer. Four, you are receiving present tense right now. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Right now, you are receiving something that is the end result of your faith. You are receiving salvation right now. It's not just hope for the future, it's something you're receiving right now. And that fills you with an inexpressible joy. You know, Peter talks about faith. Here's the thing about salvation. And, and, and Pastor Kenton mentioned this last week. There is nothing we do to earn, deserve, work for, or get salvation. Salvation is all 100% a work of God and he has done all the work. But there's one thing we are called to do. It's to receive it. And the hands through which we receive the work that God did through Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, the hands through which we receive salvation is this word faith. It's not a work we do. It's a person we trust. It's saying what, what Peter said earlier, though you do not, have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. This is why faith is so, so important. And if you remember from the passage from last week, uh, Peter says that your faith is more valuable than gold. It is the most valuable thing that you have. It's putting your trust in Jesus because that's the hands through which you receive the work of God on your behalf. Which is why the apostle Paul said this. He said, the only thing that counts there's only one thing that counts and it's faith expressing itself in love. And so we do nothing to earn salvation, but we put our trust in Jesus, the one who has accomplished it for us. And when we receive that through the hands of faith, we are receiving the salvation of our souls. Something that God has done. And here's the interesting thing about salvation that Peter has talked about. Salvation is not just something that happened in the past. Salvation's also something that's gonna happen one day in the future. And Peter also says it's something that's happening now, meaning we have been saved. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, we have been saved. We are being saved currently right now. And one day we will be saved. To show you a picture of this, going back to verse three, Peter says, we have been saved. He said it this way, in his, that's God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Meaning you have already been given new birth. You have already been saved. Your salvation is accomplished. It's done. 
But then he says, it's also something that's gonna happen. He goes on and says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith, there's that word again, are shielded, not by our great strength, but by God's power until what? The coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. There is a salvation coming and we are guarded by God's power because we've placed our faith in him. So salvation is something that happened and Peter says it's gonna happen one day. But then he says this, it's also something that's happening now, verse nine. For you are receiving present tense right now, the end result of your faith. What are you receiving? The salvation of your souls. And this is why Peter says you have joy. It's not deferred joy. We're waiting to get joy later. It's a joy that we have now and it's a joy that's invincible. It's not, oh, my doctor said this and now I lost my joy. It's not, oh, this situation happened, now I lost joy. It does not move with our circumstances and situations. Not this kind of joy. And here's why. This joy is set in the unchanging character and work of God, which means no matter what happens in my life, God is not changed. God did not go from a loving God yesterday to a jerk God today. God is loving yesterday and he is loving today. His character does not change, but here's the amazing part. Not only is God's character unchanging, God's work is unchanging, which is what Peter has just said. Your salvation was accomplished, it's being accomplished and it will be accomplished. And because of that truth, you have proof that God is unchanging and that means you can have joy now, no matter what happens. Unbelievable. Well, concerning this joy, Paul goes on and says this, or Peter, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. I want you to think about this. This is unbelievable. I don't think we understand what's been done for us. The prophets, and if you know the Old Testament prophets, they kind of had one job. They, their job was to hear from God and tell the people. God spoke to them, they told the people. The people who heard from God, and in Moses' case, he was a prophet. It's said of Moses that he had a face-to-face -face relationship, a face-to-face -face conversational relationship with God. Do you know what Moses, who had a face-to-face -face relationship with God, do you know what he was intently looking into and he was amazed about? This salvation, what we get to live into today, he could only dream of happening. He was intently looking into it with the greatest care. It goes on, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ, Jesus, his spirit, who was already in them, was pointing when he, that's God's spirit in them, predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. As they were writing and God was telling them what to write, they were like, this is unbelievable. And they wondered and they searched intently what this would all look like and when it would happen. Regarding the sufferings and glories of Christ, here's one of the reasons you should be a Christian, even if you, are, uh, if you, if you struggle to believe, because you're like, I haven't seen, I'm not gonna believe. God never calls us to blind faith. It's not like, well, just kind of throw a stick out there and hope, hope it lands somewhere. Uh-uh. The resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus, all the work of God was not a fluke. It wasn't like, whoa, how'd that happen? It just did. 
No, the reason we can have a sure faith and hope in God is because this was all talked about hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. It's a reason for faith. It's like, this wasn't a just random event in history. The guy died and rose to life. God had planned the thing from the beginning. In fact, regarding the sufferings and glories of Christ, Isaiah wrote this regarding Jesus' suffering. Now again, you and I can't predict what's gonna happen seven days from now. Isaiah wrote this over 700 years before it ever happened. He said this, but he, speaking of the Messiah who was to come, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. And Isaiah wrote this and thought, this is, un this is, this is gonna happen one day. He couldn't imagine that God would do such a thing for humanity's behalf. Regarding the resurrection of Jesus, the prophet David, over a thousand years before Jesus was raised from the dead, wrote this about the Messiah. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And we know that David died and his body decayed. He is not speaking of himself. When he says you will not let your faithful one, he's speaking of the Messiah that would come in the line of David, Jesus, he would not see decay. And yes, Jesus died, but on the third day before his body ever decayed, he was raised to life and it changed everything. And this is why Peter writes, concerning this salvation that we live into today, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to figure out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit in Christ, uh, of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah that were to come and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, and this is so interesting. It was revealed to those prophets that they were not serving themselves. Guess who they were serving? You. They were serving those who would not see and yet believe. They were not serving themselves. They were serving you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have been, uh, preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then Peter says this, and even angels long to look into these things. You know, as we ponder and wonder about angels, do you know what angels ponder and wonder and long to look into? The very thing that we get to live into today. I don't think we as Christians quite get it. I don't think we as Christians fully understand how privileged we are. We are among the most privileged people in human history for hundreds and thousands of years, people were looking forward and prophets of God who heard from God wondered about these things. And now we live in a season when angels in heaven look down and they're like, I can't believe we long to look into what we get to, you and I get to live into today. We are among the most privileged people. Salvation is for us. And for this reason, we have joy, which is why Peter writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Because right now you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is joy and it's not deferred joy. Oh, there is joy gonna be in heaven too. There's joy when Jesus makes all things new, but it's a joy that we are beginning to be filled in now 
And it's a joy that's invincible, a joy that cannot be moved or shaken or stolen because it's not based on circumstance and it's not based on situation. It's based on the unchanging character and unchanging work of our heavenly father. So I wanna ask you today, what's stealing your joy? Who's the joy thief or what's the joy thief in your life? What seems to suck the joy from your life? And maybe as you consider that, here's a thought. If your joy is set on something that can change, it's undoubtedly bound to change. If you've set your joy on something that can change, your joy will be about as steady as the weather in Alberta. And you'll ride a roller coaster of ups and downs. Because if your joy is set on something that can change, it is most definitely bound to change. But I wanna invite you today, and I think with the apostle Peter, he would want to invite you today. Would you set your eyes on the one you have not yet seen? Would you set your eyes on the author of joy? The one through whom, whose work, we can have a, a baseline bedrock of joy that does not change regardless of our circumstance and situation. See, I don't know how it is in your life, but every time my eyes get sidetracked from what God has done in my life and what he's done to bring salvation to me, when my eyes get sidetracked and I start to look to other things for joy, I find my joy just disappears. When I stop following and pointing my life in the direction of my heavenly father, it seems like my joy begins to get sucked out of my life. I think for many of us as Christians, we've missed, I don't know if we've missed the significance of salvation, but maybe we've missed it a little bit. And we, we've forgotten, or maybe we just haven't realized, we are some of the most privileged people in human history. We get to live in a season of history where God's work has been done and accomplished, and we know it's gonna be done and accomplished in the future. And I think we need to tell ourselves, we need to preach to ourselves as, as, as the psalmist said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And hope and joy are like twins and you put your hope in God and you set your eyes on him and joy begins to be what fills you. And I think we need to preach to ourselves and tell ourselves, you should, you should be filled with joy. You live in a privileged time in history. It reminds me of a story that uh, Phil Calloway has shared and some of you know Phil, he's a comedian, he goes to our church, a, a, a friend of mine, a great friend of mine. And uh, Phil, as a comedian, he does shows and, you know, packs out, you know, different auditoriums. And as a comedian, your goal is to make people laugh, right? That's kind of what you get paid to do. And, and he was, tells a story about this one time he was doing his comedy show and there was a husband and wife right at the front row. And no matter how hard Phil tried, this guy could not be cracked. I mean, he looked about as miserable as miserable would be. His arms were crossed. He would not smile. He just looked miserable. And Phil just kept trying for the entire show just to get this guy to laugh. He could not do it. And at the end of the show, the guy's wife comes up to Phil and she just thanked Phil so much for the wonderful evening that they had. And then she said, I haven't seen my husband enjoy himself like this in years. <laughs> And Phil had a thought in his mind. He, th he said, you should tell him to tell his face, <laughs> right? Like 
His face doesn't know that he's joyful, right? And I wonder as Christians, you know, we've been given this amazing gift and we have so many reasons for hope, which leads to joy. And maybe we need to tell ourselves, maybe we need to set our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we get sidetracked and the joy starts to disappear, we set our eyes on the one who has accomplished it all. And we have reason to be joyful. Does this mean that as Christians, we never walk through pain or struggle? No. Does this mean as Christians that we never mourn or grieve? Absolutely not. As Christians, we do mourn and we do grieve at the difficulty and struggle and pain and loss in this world. Does this mean as Christians that we just bury our head in the sand when there's trouble and difficulty and we just disconnect ourselves from desire, disconnect ourselves from relationship, disconnect ourselves from ever uh, attaching to anything so that we never experience pain and loss. Some religions may teach that, but that is not the Christian faith. We experience pain and loss and struggle on this side of eternity, but there is a bedrock of joy that does not change regardless of the struggle and pain and the mourning and grief that we journey through. Because our joy is not based on our circumstance. Not this kind of joy. It's set on the one who is unchanging and whose work of salvation happened, is happening, and it will happen. So in response, I wanna invite you to one practice, one discipline this week. As it relates to setting your eyes on the one whom you have not seen living into the joy that comes from placing your attention on him. And here's the one thing I want you to do. This week as you wake up in the morning or maybe it's as you're at work or um, traveling to work or traveling home or maybe at night as you reflect on your day, I just want you to write down or think about the one or two things that have been sucking your joy that day. And then I want you to take that one or two things that's been sucking your joy and I simply... I want you to stack it up against the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to stack that circumstance, that difficulty, that situation, and put it into context of what Jesus has done on your behalf and what you've all been given. To put into context by looking at those, that very thing that angels in heaven long to look into and you and I get to live into. And then I think as you do that, as you reset your vision, I think you'll begin to be filled with a new kind of joy, a depth of joy that does not change. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountallofefc.com. We'll see you next time.